Hello, this is Eno Saris, and you're listening to the Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Welcome to the circus down here. Coming at the to you meetings. live at the 2022 Major League Baseball Winter Meetings. Um, it is a circus. That lobby is cool. And for someone that has ADHD like I do, it's like squirrel, squirrel, famous guy, famous guy. Oh, another guy. Hey, hi. You know, oh, let me talk. Like, I will have five different conversations with five different people at one time if I had the chance. See, I suffer from this disorder while I'll see somebody's face, and it's like I know that face, but I, I can't think of their name, even if it's somebody that I work with every day. <laughs> when it comes time for me to introduce somebody, it's like this is, mm, i got to come up with their name. But with a full day in the books, we have a lot of content. Um, coming up later, we're going to have, you know, Saris on, on the podcast and our conversation with him. Very enlightening, incredibly informative if, uh, if, you, uh, if you want to stick around and listen to that because I thought that was really cool. And we also talked to J.J. Cooper from Baseball America. Yeah. I think we're going to put that one in tomorrow's yeah. episode because um, we've got a lot to talk about. We do. So let's start with what happened on Sunday night. Uh, the other side of the world, it almost seems like, at the Hilton Bayfront is they had the MILB uh, annual awards dinner. Yeah, so Mike Nutter of the Fort Wayne Tin Caps won Executive of the of the Year for the fourth time. Just a class organization over there at Fort Wayne. I should have put that in parentheses because I'm not sure it was for the fourth time, but I'm he's won it several times. He deserves it every year. In yeah, my it's just a class organization over there, and every time you know we, we should try to maybe talk to him if we can. But it's just a well-run organization. They get they meet their attendance. Targets every year. The ballpark looks like a like a major league baseball ballpark. Have you seen what they just did down on the field? Oh yeah, they put the lights around. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Every year they put, and I guess they're new lights this year, so they're nice bright LED lights. It looks so cool seeing the the dark ballpark with the outline of the infield, and then you've got the the skyscape of Fort downtown Fort Wayne behind it. It's a really neat shot. And then soon there'll be the pictures of the snow, but they've you know they've brushed out the whole infield, and it's going to be looking really cool. Um, another winner was the San Antonio Mission. They won the Golden Bobblehead for the best community event. Uh, they were for the Evaldi Strong Night. So they they were able to raise $24,000, and they spread that out among six other charities in the Evaldi community. And I believe they're, um, Minor League Baseball, I just saw the email today, they are going to be doing more fundraising for the Boys and Girls Club of, in Evaldi, uh, Texas, following the the just absolute tragedy that happened there this year. I want to know uh, what that Golden Bobblehead Award looks like. Is it, there a is yeah? There, there is. Yeah, look at the picture. It, it, <laughs> it, it looks like a banana with a Donald Duck head. Does it? Does it actually have a spring in it? Uh, no, it, it doesn't. Well, it, it was a picture, so I didn't know if it moved. It's kind of <laughs> like here. Look, let me show you this. It's but we're on a podcast. This is only audio. All right. Um, well, we're here at the winter meetings, and so what happens at the winter meetings? There's a lot of people talking about trades and signings and. And all these discussions. So we had a couple of big news items drop today. Well, the, the big thing was that AJ Preller was talking not only to Alexander Bogarts, but had two meetings with Trey Turner. Right. Um, which really, I, I don't know, you know, we don't want to get too far into this because he ended up signing somewhere else, but like, I'm not sure the purpose of that. With, with, with such a high dollar player, 
Um, was it maybe to hedge your bets about maybe not signing Juan Soto? Is it, um, you know, obviously that guy lengthens your lineup. Um, you put Tatis out in the outfield, so you have a top-tier player in the outfield. You have a top-tier player at short. You can move Crone over to first. And then, you know, you have a Gold Glover nominee at Hassan Kim at second. I There's so many what-ifs. It'll just make your head spin. Um, and so talking to, like, when we were talking to, you know, and you'll hear it later, one of the things you talked about was the flexibility of the Padres roster. Yeah. That they can go out and get whoever they want to get, and you can move players around and find a way to get them to fit. Uh, and so during the press conference, he was asked, Preller was asked about Trey Turner, and what were you going to do? And, of course, he dances around every question right. he's ever asked, but, I mean... You can tell that he just wants to get the talent, and then they'll figure out where right. everybody's going to play. Right. You know, they're not going to ask permission. They're just going to say, okay, we're going to get everybody in the room, and okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, so apparently Carlos Baerga, oh, so Trey Turner signed an 11-year, $300 million contract with the Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies. So now the Phillies have their crazy lineup. I saw somebody, <laughs> Craig Goldstein, I think was was the guy who wrote it. It's, it's like something about the length of the contract and all these big deals and what's going to happen when everybody goes gets old and all this. And Dave Dombrowski is just sitting over there and going to line up, go brrrr. Because <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> Who cares what's happening eight years from now? He wants to see that lineup go insane. And it just got really insane. Who um, saw Dave Dabrowski? I don't know if you saw him. He was going down the escalator as we were going up the escalator. Oh, is that him? I, I wouldn't know him if I saw him. He, he looks like a school principal. Okay, see, the other big news that dropped today, <laughs> apparently Carlos Baerga had the inside scoop on this one. That was last night with the, with the signing of... The New York Mets, you know, lost one signing award winner and picked up another one in Justin Verlander. Now, they signed him for $96 million, point four, something like that. Sorry, my voice went really high there. $43.3 million for two years, is that what the deal is? Yeah, with, with a third year investing uh, option. Okay. What essentially is he's making the same amount of money as Max Scherzer is. Because they're best so, buddies, and they can't. He doesn't want to be better than Max. He's, I'm the same as my old teammates. What is it, the 2016 Tigers that yeah. the Mets are trying to do? Well, Rick Porcello just announced his oh, retirement oh, today. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, who is the the perfect game guy. I don't think he's still around. Armando Galarraga. I don't think he even survived the year that year. <laughs> he did. I'm surprised Jim Joyce did as well. But you yeah. know. So, so nothing right now is happening with the Padres. There's lots, you know, you'll hear it in the, in the presser from AJ. Was you know, there's lots of irons in the fire, which he always does. I mean, really, the the, the looking at Bogarts and looking at Trey Turner is just that's what GMs do. Right. As somehow it got noticed that you know since it's AJ Preller and the Padres seem to be spending a little bit of money now, that it becomes big news. If this was five years ago, it would have been like, oh, that would have been. Big, big news. Right. Well, I mean, he, we know that he kicks every tire in the lot. Yeah. He's going to check in on everybody. So, okay, somebody said the Padres were interested in Yuli Gurriel. Well, the Padres are interested in anybody that can play yeah. first base, yeah. anybody that can be a designated hitter, anybody who hits righty, lefty, gets on base, hits for power, can you play left field? You, right. Whatever. <laughs> if you're a baseball player, A.J. Priller probably wants to know what it would take to make you a Padre. Right, 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 right. So I'm not, you know, I'm not getting too lost in all of these little rumors. I think it's just fun to see the whole rumor mill churn. Yeah. So every time I see some crazy rumor, I'll just retweet it with the eyeballs uh, emoji. Uh, so it's a bit for you. Oh, yeah. See, that annoys me. No, don't put eyeballs on it. That's a non-starter. 
the whole Trey Turner thing was a non-starter. And, and really for this year, this season, there is such – I mean, there's no one at first. There's such a small market of players – and there's so much kind of expensive high, you know, the high dollar guys that are that are available. That it really feels like to me, Preller is going to have to, you know, almost have to just sign like Brandon Drury and, and put him in left field. Um, might even have to go back and look at, at Josh Bell and see if he's signable. Um, other than that, it might be traded. So I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. And this is this isn't a bit where we may see someone in the major league squad get traded in order to get another piece. I'm, I'm almost certain that and it's going to happen one way or another. So and where is that is, depth? We've all become so attached to Ha-Sung Kim and Jake Cronenworth and Trent Grisham. Yeah. And there are some players that have, they're still on the pre-arbitration scale or in Ha-Sung Kim's case, it's a relatively player-friendly yeah. contract Keep, if, he yeah, keeps friendly. Playing, yeah. if he keeps playing the way he's been playing. You, you, it's gonna cut. It's gonna cut deep if you if he needs to go out and get those the the pitcher the number four or five starting pitchers that you needed. You need corner outfield. You need first base. You want upgrades all over the place. It's gonna hurt. Yeah. Well, also, and with that being said, Peter Saylor runs his baseball club, and we're only what four million dollars away from the first tier. Right. And so there's the first tier, and then there's the next, like, $20 million. And I think that's where they're going to butt up against something, where they see surcharges they start running into. Right. And so there, there could be some signings. There's going to have to be some signings, but the signings are going to have to be within that range. And it's not going to be a big, splashy thing. It's going to be a couple guys for $8 million, $12 million. Or they could go crazy and go get Xander Bogarts. Uh, yeah, I don't see that happening. And I, then you got shortstops all around the ballpark. Which are the best athletes and can make good yeah. outfielders, but who do you, you know, A.J. Preller was asked about, have you know, has Crone been talked to, has, has Hassan Kim been talked to about moving positions? I almost threw out the question of, like, has Tatis been talked to again about moving to center field? And the answers were, were no. Not, they hadn't got that far in negotiations with Trey Turner to, to really do that. Well, it sounded, I mean, they met with him twice. Yeah. And it sounds like there was an offer on the table from what's been reported, so... Who knows? Just you know, throw everybody out there and throw a bunch of mitts out on the field and see who wants to play where. Okay, so the Padres, we, they need, they got first base options that they need, right field, left field, DH, starting pitching. That was an interesting question in the press conference. So you're going to hear the press conference at the end here after the Inosaris interview. Um, somebody asked about starting pitching, and right there, I got the impression that they're not looking for top end starting pitching. Right. They're not. I don't think they're going to be in the market for Carlos Rodon. They're looking for a number five major league starting pitcher. Although, of course, Preller's going to talk up the minor league guys. He's going to talk up Jay Groom, Adrian Morahone stretching out as a starter, um, Ryan Weathers, Reese Kinnear. But they want at least one more major league quality caliber pitcher, not a front end guy. Uh, you need to have that depth. Do you think they're stealing on the Kadai? Yeah, so. The, it's been reported that they're not like hot and heavy about about Senga, but I think they're going to be in it until the end. Yeah, I mean I don't see yeah. why not. It, it's funny because I have not heard and I've been on Twitter just about every minute I can, and there hasn't been a lot no. said about him. Not about it from anyone. And I think, but when uh, last year, um, what was his name, Seiya Suzuki, that yeah. went to the Cubs, there weren't a whole lot of rumors until he finally signed. Yeah. 
And so you hear that the, he had these meetings. And we know that Senga has come and met with different teams. He kind of did a little tour. He was here in San Diego, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got the connections. You've got, I mean, he was, he's close with, uh, with Darvish. And he was teammates with Suarez and Martinez. Yeah. And you've got, you've got Hideo Nomo on the staff. You've got AC Kurogi. You've got some really good connections to Japan. Doesn't mean that that that's going to sway the player to get here. It's about money and where he thinks he's the best fit. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I would love to see that guy. I think he would be a great addition because he comes in. He's a rookie. It's, there's going to be an adjustment period. So his first year here, you need him to just eat innings and make it through the season. Maybe by the end of the year, he's coming into his own and he can be that fourth starter in in a in a playoff kind of a situation. Right. Right. And then. In the coming years, he moves up that 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 pecking order as Darvish gets older, as Snell, be- Snell becomes a free agent. Yeah. You know, then then maybe he becomes more of the number two, maybe even a front end kind of. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we can speculate all day. A- absolutely, and that's about as much as we have, really, because yeah. there's there's not much to talk about. Nothing has happened for the Padres. Um, we have a lot of content to put. Uh, you don't want to listen to us talk. You want to listen to uh, the people we talk to talk. So let's get it to that. Well, huh? Before we get to Eno Saris, we do have a couple of little Padres notes. So the Padres claimed right-handed relief pitcher Sean Poppin off the waivers from the Diamondbacks um, on December 2nd. Poppin. He will be <laughs> he will be 29 years old by opening day. He has four years of major league experience with Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Arizona. Um, no minor league options. So that kind of limits the flexibility. He's got to stick on the major league roster or he's DFA'd. But they're taking a flyer on the guy. Um, he's a two-seam fastball and slider, or cutter slider kind of a pitcher. Um, similar profile and stuff as Austin Adams. A couple of people okay. have quoted that out. And so you look at some some highlights of him. He's got this slider that seems to move just straight right to left. It's a wiffle ball. Yeah, he's it's got that frisbee ball. kind of slider. Uh, so he's probably going to have the command control issues that we saw with Austin Adams, maybe some hit by pitches. But if they if he can get in there and throw strikes, then he can be devastating. So who knows? Yeah. He's a project for Ruben Niebla. Um, then the last thing we got on the list, uh, Sam, uh, Jeff Sanders from the SD uh, Union Tribune reported that former Carlsbad high school star Thomas Eshelman is moving into coaching in the Padres minor league system. He pitched in 2022 with the Missions and the Chihuahuas. Um, and he put out a nice statement on Instagram. I'm not really going nice. to read the, the whole statement, but it's he was he expressed gratitude to the organization for giving him a chance to play. And it, to me, that says something that he's accepting, accepting a job within the organization to be a coach. To be a pitching coach. That says something about how the organization treated him and what he thinks of, you know, because he can go find a job somewhere else, I'm sure. Um, and then also that it's his hometown team. Growing up in Carlsbad, yeah. grew up rooting for the Padres. Now he's excited to be a part of the coaching staff. So happy to have Thomas Eshelman uh, remain aboard. Yeah, and I love I love the skin in the game. I love having the local boy, play, you know, the Joe Musgrove in Antarctica has been fantastic. But having the local boy come play for the hometown team has been amazing. Even Tony Gwynn, although went to San Diego State, was from Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but he made San Diego his home. It, it know, is his home. Right. By the time he was capital T, capital G, he was a San Diegan. Absolutely. Speaking of the Joe Musgrove in Antarctica thing, did you see who else was on that trip with him? Well, him and Manaya. Sean Manaya is there. What do you think of bringing Sean Manaya back? I, I think no. <laughs> you had to squirm your way through that, well, though. And, well, and, and I tell you, because 
he is so inconsistent. The consistency there wasn't there. Uh, he seemed to lose a lot in the second half of the season. Now, I don't know if that's a training issue or if it just he just kind of lost it. Um, he certainly wasn't – didn't play in the playoffs. It was the worst year of his career. It, yeah. I mean, also we had the worst year of his career in Trent Grisham. So do you – do you just call it a lost year and, and sign him to a you know to another couple year deal? Maybe you can get him on the cheap that way. Um, is he someone that you put in the bullpen? We need starting pitching. I wouldn't rule it out, but I also wouldn't you know wouldn't be so. It had to be a pretty team friendly deal. Right, right. I mean, coming off a bad year, he's 30 years old now, uh, but maybe he gets one of these contracts where it's like a one-year prove-it kind of a thing with, with team options and incentives and this kind of stuff. Like with Martinez, with the, if you pitch in the bullpen, right. there's incentives there. If you think so many starts or so many innings as a starter, there's that incentive. Like a very incentive-laden uh, contract, I'm all happy. For. Because Sean Benai has been very good before. Yeah. Early in the season, he was showing some really good signs. Yeah. It's just he fell off the whole second half, and who knows? Maybe it's part of the adjustment of going to a new team. I don't know. But he's got a relationship with Bob Melvin. He brought some great vibes to the clubhouse. He seemed to be in the center of all of that stuff. Yeah. The, the fans loved him. And right now, with three really good starting pitchers at the front end, you've got Nick Martinez. You need somebody to just eat innings. And so if he can go out there and have a 4.5 ERA and throw 170 innings and make 25 starts, there's value to that, even though that doesn't sound great. There's still value. You need to get through 162 to get to the postseason. That's true, but if you're giving up a lot of runs and you're putting your offense in a pressure situation where they have to, you know, when he's just giving up runs, mm-hmm. that's tough to, it's tough to win ballgame. It's tough to win the, the division. Yeah, well, with all of these guys, it's a question of, is he the guy that you saw in the last couple months? Right. Or do you think that the, the player he was before is still in there? Which I'm learning. I kind of learned so much listening to Eno, listening to uh, JJ. Just, you know, is it a tra- like the training issue? I just put that in. Like, it's, they, he can train. Maybe, it, maybe it's training. He talks about Trent Grissom. That's a lot of the stuff that Eno talks about is it's something with Grisham that was that maybe could be trained out in the off season, right? Yeah, maybe there was something about. And I, I meant to ask, you know, this we didn't really we ran out of time, but I meant to ask about the like the hitting philosophy of the whole team. If he thought that there was something to that, mm-hmm. and you know, Michael Burdar has left the Padres organization, the hitting coach. He's now with the Detroit Tigers. So, and I noted that when I noticed when AJ Preller was asked about the hitting coach, he didn't immediately come out and say. Well, Ryan Flaherty is going to be our hitting coach. Right. He didn't even mention Ryan Flaherty's name. He danced around the question, but said that they're going to look at that the next couple of weeks. And I have a feeling that they're going to bring in somebody new as a hitting coach. Maybe Flaherty stays on as associate hitting coach, right. quality control, some kind of thing like he was before. Uh, but there's a regime, you know, a little bit of a change there. Trent Grisham's a really good player. He's yeah. been a really good player. Yeah. There's a really good hitter in there. Yeah. I, I'm not ready to just sign the guy off. And I feel the same way to a lesser extent with Sean Manaya, that there's still a quality ball player in there. Yeah. And whether it's here or somewhere else, I think he's still going to go on to, to some good things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Um, that's all we got. Stay tuned for J.J. Cooper and then post that. Well, first is we're putting Eno Saris out today. Oh, my God. And then J.J. Cooper, we're probably going to have that one in tomorrow. It's talking about my, uh, union negotiations and all that fun stuff. It's been a really long day. <laughs> It's been a long day. Go to bed, Donovan. Thank you. <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter at Zippy underscore TMS. And you can find me at SD Donovan on Twitter. Let's go, Padres. Here comes 
y Bruselas. We're joined here with uh, the athletics, you know, Saris here at the winter meetings. You know, how's it going? It's going good. It's, uh, it's my favorite bar scene in the world. <laughs> and uh, I partook last night until late in the morning, so the voice is a, is a little tired. But uh, it was a, it's a lot of fun. Ended up, I was talking like Jed Lowry, John Jay, uh, you know, a bunch of people from front offices, yeah. analytics guys, talking about pitch modeling. You know, it's that kind of thing where it's just so much, so the conversations are so great. Real quick, and before we get into the real questions, how, how much are those guys into it? Like Jed Lowry, he, he, he doesn't play anyway, huh? Yeah, he was already talking about transitioning and so what sort of uh, roles he could see for himself in the future. He's based in Portland, so he's really interested in potential Portland expansion uh, and being a part of something like that. Uh, but he, I always thought of him, he's been uh, somebody I've talked to a lot in the in, in the, the clubhouse, and I've always thought of him as somebody that could be running, working in a front office because uh, he understands the language of the analytics side. Uh, but also can be a, an advocate for the player because sometimes uh, analytics miss uh, just what it's like to apply those things right. and uh, and can kind of miss the the feel and he he has that feel. You, you mentioned Portland. Somebody that I comes to mind that I miss in baseball media is Rob Nyer, and I know he's like I think he's running a wood bat summer league up there now. A yeah. whole different change of paradigm for him. Yeah, he should, cool. he should get involved if they do that. And I know Dale Murphy is a, is a big uh, proponent of the Portland expansion as well. Nice. There's a big baseball fan base up there. That'd be really cool. Yeah. I guess for the, the worry for baseball is how close it is to Seattle. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there are other teams that are close by, and you can create a sort of new uh, rivalry. And um, I think the infrastructure is there for Portland. Well, back – that couple of years back, we there there was a Portland, there was a whole group, there was a whole organization. I think a woman that ran there's it. There's a location. Um, there was a location. I think we might have even had her on. Or we were going to have her on. We were chatting with somebody when we were here last time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we were going to have them on and kind of give them the big spiel. But I can't remember if we ever did because that was so long. Wow. It was so long ago. It's got to take backseat to Tampa and, and Oakland, I guess, for the meantime, because the whole thing is that Manfred's going to use these expansion places as sort of threatened, threatening to take Oakland and Tampa and put those right. in those places. So until they get new stadiums, uh, Portland and Charlotte and Vegas and those places, I'll have to wait. All right, well, let's get into the really meat and potatoes of this thing. What, so what are your thoughts on A.J. Preller just kind of like emptying out the minor league system and, uh, you know, and really kind of trading himself into a corner with the depleted farm? He has some good players on the squad, but... Seems like he just traded everything away, and it still is. We get to bear fruit. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I think that you know some of the trades I might nitpick, but in terms of a philosophy, I'm with it. You know, I think it's aggressive, and uh, it's created right now. The Padres have the second best projection in, in baseball. That, of course, there's some big free agents left on the market, but uh, that's an interesting place for them to be. They haven't been there very often. And so, you know, I, I, when I look at guys like Asturi Ruiz, uh, you know, 
I see a guy who doesn't really hit for enough power to be uh, a really above average regular. Maybe he could be a regular, you know, because of the defense and the speed, uh, but I just didn't see the batted ball power there uh, to, to see another level for him. Um, I saw some of the similar flaws with Abrams. You know, we just never really hit the ball that hard. Um, and maybe that'll come with time, uh, but that's not something that San Diego was going to give him, you know. Um, I think it was probably maybe James Wood will be one of the uh, one of the toughest ones to, to see go, but he's also the kind that could go either way. I mean, we're talking about very long sort of long limbs could be you know strikeout rate. You know, we'll have to see. It's 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 uh, it's a type of package that can be an all star or, or not work out. Hmm. Um, and when you and you when you just think about it generally, um, you know, prospects have about a fifty percent chance of working out and so you know getting proven performers for them um, and then theoretically keeping the right ones uh, is the trick for sure so the guys that they brought back Drury, Bell, Soto all three of them dipped a little bit to different levels I mean Soto struggled against his career numbers Mm -hmm. Josh Bell had a great first half there's kind of a trend for guys that are traded midseason to struggle the second half. Um, is there any like data behind that, or there any is. theories about why that happens? There is actually. Uh, interestingly, it's not exactly what Soto did, um, but generally, uh, players that are traded in season uh, chase uh, balls outside of the zone more. Now, what you saw from Soto was the opposite, where he like stopped swinging. But I think that was pressing. I think that was his version of pressing. Right. You know, it's uh, instead of being ultra aggressive, he was going to be ultra passive. And I think you saw at the, as the season went on, later into the end of the season, he swung more, and he, you know, he swung some at some low pitches in order to get the high pitches that he wants. He started to kind of, uh, you know, play the game. Yeah. Um, and in, at the beginning, when he first came over, he was just I'm going to wait for my pitch, and it was a very small swing zone. You know, and that was the funny thing is like, okay, walks are great, dude, but you know, there's two outs and a guy on second and third. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. And this is not a team that. Uh, you know, had run producers at every position. It wasn't. A, it was a team that needed kind of the, their guys to produce. You know, the, when they had the opportunity. So, it is an interesting thing that they're facing this off season, which is you know, I was just looking at uh, the depth chart, and there are teams in baseball that would look at the depth chart and be like, we're pretty close in terms of uh, offense, right? Because you've got some mix and match ability. Cronenworth can play second, can play first. Um, you've got a young guy in Eggy, uh, Rosario, who's coming up, who can play second. Um, and you've got representative guys at every position once you, once you pencil Tatis in the outfield. Uh, and you could say, hey, we're, maybe we'll just get another one more bat or something um, to tide us over until Tatis comes in, and this is going to be our offense. But with the Padres being so close to the top, you see somebody like the Phillies go spend a bunch of money on Trey Turner. That means uh, if the Padres really want to keep pace, uh, maybe there is another uh, big move in their, in their back pocket. Well, the Padres are in on everybody, and it seems like you never know what they, you hear all these rumors, and then there's somebody nobody was talking about that Preller goes out and gets. Well, that's the nice thing about the way the depth chart is right now. There is not a glaring place where you're like, oh, they need this. 
it's nice to not need a shortstop and not need a center fielder. Now, if they sign Dancy Swanson, who had the 48th arm out of 50 in terms of arm strength, they don't need to play him at short. Right. They can play him at second, put Cronenworth uh, at first, and Eggy, you know, gets comes along slowly and becomes maybe an injury depth piece, you know, or plays some left field, you know. So they've got ways to move guys around, and they can be in on anybody. My question, so, you know, Hassan Kim came over from Korea, was, you know, excellent defense, excellent defense last year, didn't hit that well, excellent defense this year, gold glove candidate, then, you know, it seemed to hit a little bit better. I mean, with development, development isn't linear. Linear is major league development linear. I mean, I, I really found that he, you know, he struggled at the plate sometimes at, at times when we needed that hit. And for, for me, having him be a starter is a question. Like defense is fine, but we need to put the ball in play. We need we need that yeah. position to be productive. Yeah, but I do think that. Um, as much as I think that he can play short and Tatis can play the outfield, um, it's Tatis does bring you some options if he comes back healthy and he's throwing well. So um, I, I wouldn't make it a priority to say we have to fill second shortstop. The other thing I would say is, you know, you look at the teams in the World Series or the team that won the World Series, or the team that won the World Series um, had maybe three zeros in the lineup. Now, if you get the rest of the lineup so good, then you and, and also that's an emphasis on defense, right? Why would why were those guys in there? Why was Chas McCormick uh, and Martin Maldonado? Uh, why were they in there? It was because of their defense. So you know, I think uh, uh, you know having two or three spots where you're like, you know, that's a good glove, and we'll see what happens. It's okay. Well, you never know when those guys are going to pop. Like right. the Padres playing the Mets, and all of a sudden Trent Grisham and Austin Nola. And, uh, and Hassan Kim were the guys carrying him in that series uh-huh. when they're the last people you expected to do some damage. I really, uh, I really hope for uh, an interesting offseason, like a, a good training offseason for Grisham. I think uh, a slight tweak to his approach. I think some aggressiveness late in the season served him well. Um, you know, a guy who can hit a homer off Jake DeGrom is not a terrible player. Right. You know, a guy who has the smallest, I think the smallest or second smallest chase rate in baseball last year is not a bad player. Um, so there's just something that needs to, to click to get him back to where he was before. Um, but you're right. I guess it is interesting to bring him up because Grisham, Kim, and Nola, that makes it maybe three spots in the lineup where you're like, uh, so you really can't have left field then be a question or, uh, or first base be a question. So I think at least one more bat is coming. Um, but it's hard for me to look at the list of free agents and be like, oh, it's going to be this guy because – you know, I don't think that Andrew Benintendi moves the needle that much. I mean, maybe it'd be okay. It's like a guy who keeps the book, you know, keeps the lineup going, uh, but it doesn't really solve any of their power issues. You know, um, so you know, Drew would be Drew would be kind of be a, at least not maybe moving the needle, but at least keeping it where it was. Yeah, I think Drury, uh, uh, even even Bell, but I know that uh, he didn't really perform uh, in San Diego, uh, so maybe they just they're just out on him, but. Um, you know, there aren't that many good first basemen. If they could convince Cody Bellinger uh, to come down, that might be interesting. Well, that's the cool thing about the flexibility is that you can slide people around. Uh, you know, that's a nice thing. If you can just look for, okay, we're looking for this power profile, and then they can plug him in wherever he fits. And yeah, and I think the behind the plate, you, know, you guys know a little bit more than me, but Campy has uh, offensive ability, right? Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's just a question of when it's going to develop, when it's going to mature at the big league level, and how the defense is going to play. He's already getting chances at the big league level. And, oh yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's a. It's always a chance that if 
you, with Campy and Nola, you know you got like you know the veteran that's that's fine, and then you, with Campy you've got the lottery ticket that maybe he maybe he takes the job from Nola. You know, I think that's going to probably what I see is happening is Campy is the backup. You know, gets plays two or three times two two times a week. Um, maybe puts it together, but those consistent at bats, I think, at the major league level, and he did have, um, he made bound, leaps and bounds in, in pitch calling and, and running the pitchers meetings when he had when he's in, in El Paso. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I see coming. And being a minor league podcast, we're like, dude, give the guy a shot. I mean, yeah. we see him hit tanks in, in, in the Pacific League, sure. But tell me about Aggie. Right. Well, Aggie Rosario, he another like hard nosed. Ball player it reminds me of like a like a Dominican Ty Wigginton. Um, they, they worked really hard with him on his chase rate, and and it really showed. Esri Ruiz, another guy that they've worked. Uh, Philip Weldon worked with him in Double A on his chase rate. Um, with, with with Aggie, I'm not. Sh- you know, there's third base, there's shortstop. It's already taken. What we've you seen know. from him the last couple of years is that he's been streaky. Yeah. He's been hot and cold, mm-hmm. which is something that players can learn how to manage and mature out of. Hundred um, so percent. There's actually some research that I wrote about that once. Um, it, there's a, you can measure volatility in a player, and as they get older, uh, they become less volatile. You know, some of that is not reaching the same peaks, uh, but some of that is also not reaching the same bottoms. They start to have a toolkit of how to get out of slumps. They know what to sort of do. Uh, it's something that uh, there's actually a parallel in. Um, psychology, and, and as we get older, we have coping mechanisms. You know, we, we none of us is as crazy as we were as, as we were teenagers. Right? Yeah, who's got the <laughs> <laughs> two years old? We know. We know now to go on a run, or or eat a tub of ice cream, or watch a movie, or whatever it is we need to do. <laughs> okay, right. the tub of ice cream is still on the table for me. Yeah. But everything else is on. Let's get. What we really wanted to bring you on, I really appreciate the time, is talking about the rules. Um, you know, the, the pitch timer, the hitter timer, I thank God Steve Trashel doesn't pitch anymore. It'd be a mess. He'd walk. He, I, you know, personally, I'm, I welcome the pitch clock, and I did not enjoy watching Steve Trashel pitch. <laughs> uh, you mean Garcia, dude? Like, Pedro uh, uh, Baez? Like, those guys? Like, yes. please throw the ball. And that's what's... That's what's crippling the game a little bit. That's what causes people to change the channel. Oh, you guys have been seeing it in the minor leagues. It's fun, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. But you don't notice it until it's like 9.30 and you look up at the at the scoreboard you're like, holy cow, it's already the eighth inning. Yeah. Well, I noticed it a little bit with my kids just being like more engaged and like uh, watching the game a little bit more. My kids are 10 and 8 and they were into it more. I noticed it. I mean, they did some stuff which is, people would say maybe, quote unquote, not baseball where they were uh, doing the they were doing the countdown. On the pitcher, oh. they're like five, four, three, <laughs> and that's gonna happen. That's gonna happen to that's pitchers. The, I, the slow pitchers are gonna start getting those chance. You know, I never saw that at Lake Elsinore, but that's good. I yeah. mean, that's good, but that's kind of not baseball. Right. Well, the, that's little league stuff you're gonna see on Twitter, and like it'll be like it'll go viral, but in a bad way. Like yeah. this team, they don't know how to coach. All like the hitting Twitter is like the same way. Like. It's just a mess. Everyone's just trying to kill Yeah, well, the batters need to get in the box, and that's part of it, too. Get in the box. You know, mm-hmm. they got eight seconds to get in the box. You know, none of this Nomar Garcia Parra stuff anymore. So, so with, with – um, sorry, Roy, I think I just took your thunder. Um, so with the pitch clock um, and the maximum effort, I read somewhere that, you know, the, the pitches kind of need a little time between each pitch mm-hmm. to, to recover. Uh, with that, I mean, was that put into consideration, do you think? Or do you think that – you know, throwing at maximum effort in a shorter time 
is going to create fatigue and may even create injuries with spitting up the game? Yeah, um, a friend of mine, Dr. Mike Sun, just got uh, hired by the Chicago Cubs, and um, he has uh, like a fatigue metric. Uh, and that's something that he's going to bring to the Cubs now that he used to have publicly where um, he would kind of uh, put some different metrics in so you could tell how fatigued a reliever was, for example, or, or a starter and, and get a sense of how much rest they needed and um, get start to model the, you know, the days off. And that's, you know, every team has that basically now. Do they use the wearable tech in any of that? Because I see these guys that have the sleeve that have the sensors in them. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's part of the process of developing these, these sort of models. He's got a PhD. In, in like fatigue and ergonomics and stuff, you know. So he's that's what that's where he's coming from. And he said that um, in the model, uh, times between pitches is 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 a uh, is a feature of the model, is a part of the model. Um, and that uh, you know, shorter times between pitches means more fatigue. More fatigue means more injuries. So he's very passionate that this is going to uh, create more injuries, and I'm not excited about that. Um, we have enough injuries in the game as is. Um, however, uh, I think there is uh, some adaptability in how tra- uh, how players train um, because uh, maybe it'll become less feasible to come in there and throw as hard as you can for five innings for starters, and, and the same for relievers. Maybe there'll have to be a little bit of like, I well, I can't just throw as exactly as hard as I can every time. I got to leave some in the tank. It will have some some more fastball variability on those speeds, and that's good for your health too. Um, so, you know, I think that hopefully it'll lead to some secondary effects that are good, uh, and maybe the the short term injury spike will be something that we can overcome. But uh, generally, I like the pitch clock. Also, when I looked at players in the past who have changed their pace, um, I found no real effect on fastball velocity. So. Um, it, the secondary stuff may never come. You know, we're, we're like the first thing is just speed up the game, and then second is maybe there'll be injuries, maybe there'll be less fastball, maybe low. Well, that's the part where you just wait and see. I've seen people wonder about the implementation and the how much is it going to be enforced, but in the minor leagues, it seemed like there was a pretty quick adjustment period for the players. Like they got used to the timing, they changed their routines, spring training. By the time the season got started, there weren't a whole lot of instances of umpires having to actually intervene, um, and there were only a couple of cases where an umpire did something in a key situation. But what I do like about the rule is that they're putting it in the umpire's hands to execute it. So, like in a playoff series, you got bases loaded, you're not going to have a critical run score because of a ball four that was called because the pitcher didn't start soon enough. I I like that. That's interesting. Um, Also, uh, a student observation that uh, they adjusted pretty quickly. I had a stat given to me by a league source that said that, um, you know, in the minor leagues, in weeks sort of one through three, they did have, like, uh, an infraction and a half, 1.7 infractions per game, um, and they were kind of worried that that was too much. Uh, He said by week three and four, it was down to 0.7. By week six, it was 0.5, and it was... 0.5, 0.4 the rest of the season. So if we're talking about seeing half an infraction a game, I think um, it won't be that big a deal. What about pitch calls? It seems like that takes a lot of time, several times during the game. A new guy comes in, I don't know if it's sweat, but it's like Mm. no one's called a timeout, no one's called a a mound visit. It's just like a pitch calls, but it seems to take sometimes up to a minute, minute and a half. That's funny, but uh, in some, uh, Pitchcom reduced uh, the playoff uh, game times 
um, by, I think it was 10 minutes. It was like the first serious reduction in playoff uh, game length. Um, and so we've already seen game times go down because of Pitchcom. That's and a good point because there's no longer the, the complicated four, signs, all the codes and all They're this. saving four <laughs> seconds per pitch, they said. Wow. Okay, so, that's significant. Well, I mean, it's it sounds so small, but then you're like, well, there are tons of pitches. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so how about the bigger bases? The, the They say the distance between the base pads has shrunk by, what, like six inches? Four and a half, yeah. Is that going to have a, a meaningful effect on stolen bases by itself? Well, I was talking to a first base coach last night who said he didn't think so. Um, and there's always the possibility that we overshoot how important these things are. Um, you know, but at the same time, I stood next to that base, and I was like, that is a bigger base. Okay. That's <laughs> very obviously a bigger base. And I think four and a half inches is not nothing. You know, that's – there are enough bang-bang plays that, you know, you start to see that needle change. And then the last thing is it just changes the math. And the way that teams you know, approach the stolen base right now is almost all math. The risk-reward side of it? It's all risk-reward. It's all pop time. Uh, uh, plus pitcher time to home, you know? And they just, they're just like, what's your time to second? And what's the pop time and the pitcher time to home? Pop, pop, pop. That's you go, you don't go. Now, if you change that by four, four and a half inches, that changes, changes the second, math, right? you know? And they've got it down to, they're doing, you know, hundreds of a second. They're doing tenths of a second. So uh, if it just flips that, that one digit, uh, you may just, I think it may have an effect where the three to five stolen base guys are suddenly like ten stolen base guys, which is doubling um, and is going to add a lot of stolen bases. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily say that Trey Turner steals like 60 bags next year. <laughs> Right. I, I at least like the idea that there's going to be more action on the bases. That, to me, the the the, the strikeout walk home run part of baseball is one of the things that makes it boring. So I like balls in play. I like runners. Love you know, triples. I want defense. Love I want motion. Bases. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like uh, defenders moving to get the ball. Okay. You know, like don't you, you know what I mean? Like going to get the ball. Like oh yeah. Diving and yeah. running and versus the second baseman in shallow right field. Like the shift right they almost always just like. And right. Like, okay, that was boring. That okay. leads us into our name. Well, in the front, before we move on to the shift, it's funny how Major League Baseball wants to shorten the game, but they want more offense. How do you take away the shift where it kind of shortens the game but gives you more offense, which lengthens think, the game? Uh, yeah, I think that's actually a misconception that the, that the idea is that they need to shorten the game. I think the idea is, um, you know, when they talk about pace of play, it's more about it's some pace of action. It's like they, they, just, they just want less time between things happening. You know, because we, I, I read somewhere that we all lost 19 seconds off our attention span since the iPhone was invented. And I, and I know that's true. Oh, yeah. You know, everything's getting shorter, you know. Um, and so I think that it's, you know, we talk about it being for the kids, but I think everybody would enjoy a more faster-paced game. And the other thing I think of is um, they did have basketball before the 24-second clock, and they did have scores where it was like 15 to 10. Right. And they were kind of like, this is boring. And then they did the 24-second clock, and they were like, oh, my God, this is a good game. <laughs> so I don't think that I don't think baseball I don't I don't necessarily think that baseball is boring. I mean, my career, you know, I I I, I changed careers. I wanted this career. Um, I love baseball, but um, I do think that when I watch pitch clock baseball, I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is better. Like this is better. Like but you don't notice a change in the actual gameplay. Yeah, it's, not, it's yeah. just the pace, the rhythm. Things are moving along better. Yeah, yeah. 
I remember they when get they, in the box quicker. They get on the ground quicker. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Yeah. I remember when, when MLB Network first started, and we got to throw up here. We both got stuff at five. Uh, when, when they first started, they would play these games from the 60s. And it was pitch thrown, throw back to the pitcher. Wind up, pitch thrown. Yeah. Throw back it, to, and it was it's like, actually going back to what we used to do. Right. So at some right. point, everyone just got so big. And it was such an emphasis on bat speed and pitch speed that it became this thing of just like we're going to slow down and we're just going to throw as hard as we can and hit as hard as we can. And, you know, it became a little bit too sluggish. We're trying to get the athleticism back in the game. Right. Slugging and made these, the game sluggish. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. And, you've got, and you've got these little tweaks that I don't think people, you know, I say you stand next to the base, you can tell it's a big deal. But if you sit in the stands, I, you know, I can't imagine you're going to be like, those bases are huge. No. <laughs> Safety base. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so we started talking about the shift. So there's been mentioned that defense and, like, um, athleticism is going to be more valued at first base and second base. Um, I don't know how plugged in you are to the people that are around here, but are you getting some of that sense from – is that how teams are starting to evaluate? Are they changing what they're looking for? No, I find that Colton Wong trade uh, really interesting because Colton Wong um, uh, had uh, – I think bottom five uh, defensive numbers last year uh, in all of baseball, uh, which doesn't jive with what I think of Colton Long. And, you know, think of him as a defensive second baseman. So I think the Mariners are making a bet that, that was a one-year aberration. He's going to be a good defensive second baseman there, and it's a little bit slightly more of a defense forward package than maybe an Adam Frazier or guys they've had there in the past, uh, like a Dylan Moore. So you know, I think that I think they were thinking we're going to get defense, and I think the Brewers were thinking we're going to improve by getting we're getting Bryce Turang, like a young guy who we know can play uh, really good defense up here uh, to play to play second, and for the for the benefit of that, we get Jesse Winker and this you know and and every. Toro. So um, I think that was a trade where you start to see it. Um, you're also seeing it on the other side where the Pirates got Carlos Santana and G-Man Choi. Uh, it's like a combined $10 million they're spending on those guys, and those guys hit the ball where people used to shift all the time. Right. So you're, you're seeing some small, but I think um, – and these are relatively small deals, you know. I, uh, you know, even the even the Wong deal, that's a relatively small deal. These Santana, those are relatively small deals. I, I think that maybe the uh, Trey Turner deal uh, has some aspects of like, oh, he'll run, and you know, he's a good defender. Even if we play him a second, you know, it's going to be good. Uh, but I think Trey Turner would have gotten three hundred million without the rule changes. Right. So I think you're more likely to see it um, on these sort of one-year deals, these little deals, these little pickups. You know, will someone go get Tim LaCastro uh, to play backup center field just because he can steal all the time. You know, uh, he probably he probably could have gotten a job, or maybe he would have been going overseas. You know, he's kind of in between. Maybe he's a little bit more likely to come back. That's how I see it. Is it makes uh, it makes a little bit of a difference on the smaller deals. Well, bringing it back to San Diego, the talk of having Kim and Cronenworth on the right side of the infield, that's two elite defenders playing at positions where they would have an advantage. So that's been kind of part of the talk is that, okay, Cronenworth, you're taking away some of his value with the the positional adjustment, but now you've got a shortstop playing first base, and with the shift, now he's going to have to play away from the bag a little bit more, that kind of thing. It is a little bit of, uh, of a problem, not a problem, but a little bit of why the brand Drury signing, you'd be like, well, we'd be taking a step back there defensively, I think, you know. Um, unless you just play Drury at first, if you like his defense there, then you keep Cronin again up the middle. Mm-hmm. Throw, throw him in left. 
<laughs> there you go. Julian Left. Julian Left. Profar does he does well out there, but I, I like to bat instead of I'll take you know kind of like Juan Soto. Like I'll take the offense. Would you want to subtract a little bit of the defense? And I think the, Soto gets a little bit of a bad rap. Do you think on the defensive side? Well, it was a bad year. Um, I'm hoping that <clears throat> he also lost some sprint speed. So I think there's some training that could happen in the off season to get some of that speed back. And I wondered if he was playing through something through a chunk of the year. Yeah, there was something going on there. Um, but um, and also maybe protecting himself for a bad team a little bit. <coughs> we saw Bryce Harper do this, where you know he used to get hurt all the time, and then he had a contract year coming up, and he stopped diving. <laughs> right, right. So. so with the with the shift gone, are there are there certain profiles of hitters or pitchers that stand to benefit? Like I've wondered if a ground ball pitcher, a guy that really produces a lot of ground balls, now he's not going to be getting so many like line drives on the right side of the infield. Yeah. Um, if there's going to be a little more value perceived in guys like that. Yeah, uh, definitely the shift rules uh, put an emphasis on. Uh, it's not actually just super pole guys. In fact, guys like Juan Soto uh, benefit a little bit more. Because if you think about it, now that you can't have the shortstop on this side of the bag, you kind of have to decide where to put your uh, second baseman, right? And uh, for the for the super pull guys, just pull everything down the line, you'll put the second baseman pretty close to where he used to be. He can't be on the grass, but he'll be, pretty, he'll be down the line, you know, in that, in that like sort of rover area, you know? Um, but Juan Soto hits the ball up the middle and pulls the ball. And so now uh, you, you do we want to put our second baseman closer to up the middle to get some of those up the middles? Or are we going to keep them over here? If we keep them over here, there's going to be a large place that Juan Soto can hit singles. And Soto, Freeman, there's a lot of hitters that are good at that, that hole that now will be opened. Yeah, there was something you said earlier. You said you like seeing defenders move to get to the ball. And that made me think, okay, so now the shortstop has to be on that side of second base, but there's nothing that says that as soon as the pitcher releases the ball, he can't start going to where he thinks it's going to be hit. It's kind of the old school scouting thing where you'd see the guy start and then they start moving before the pitch is even across the plate. Yeah, they we know may, where the location's going to be. We may see some uh, players in motion. Yeah, I like that. Uh, That's yeah, a good idea. it'd be interesting. Um, I think it'll also wreak havoc a little bit on um, positioning and um, just the, it puts stress on the defender. You know, he's going to be moving. What if the ball goes the other way? He could blow an ACL. Right. Well, I mean, we had a pretty good hitter back here in the '80s and '90s. He used to watch the defenders. Like, which way are they leaning? And then he would be able to put the ball where they weren't. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> not, not too many people like him. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we we both have to get off to our thing. Oh, yeah. um, we really appreciate the time. Um, I know you're under the weather, and uh, we just we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for giving us this time. No problem. Just trying to trying to see what's what's out there, what we're trying to line up on, and and uh, you know go from there.
Yeah, I don't know. I think for us, like you know, target-wise, and we we knew that uh, you know we I think we're we're pretty pretty focused on what we wanted to do, and you know, so ultimately every year is a little bit different, you know, from from a market standpoint. You know, obviously some 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 signings here today, the last few days, um, you know, and, and usually you have that you know that kind of domino effect where where one signing may may lead to to two or three other things. But I think from our standpoint, we've you know kind of understood this is you know this is uh you know we, we're we're looking for a bat, looking for you know kind of continue. To, to, the, to add to the starting pitching, uh, you know, rotation depth, and you know, I think we're pretty targeted on what we're trying to do overall. Yeah, a lot of short stuff in the roster already. How would there be room for another thing, and how could that potentially work? Yeah, I mean, I think again, like um, you know, I think from from our standpoint, like try to try to look at each situation and each player and kind of see what that fit is. I think the you know we've talked about adding another position player. I think the natural fit is probably a corner bat. I don't think anything's changed there really. Um, you know, and you know, we again like talked about like our roster gives us some different some different flexibility and some different possibilities. But um, you know, because we have athletic players that can that can play multiple spots. Um, but I think, you know, most of the focus for us has been on, you know, probably a corner bat that, that complements and, and, you know, fits pretty well with our team right now. What does the fact you have, like, four or five guys who can play different spots all around, all around the field do for you? Yeah, I think it leads to some creative conversations in the room about where guys are going to play. Um, but, uh um, no, I, I think again. I think we've 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 tried to as we built our roster really over the last you know the last four or five years. I think uh, guys that can do multiple things, guys that can play both sides of the ball, and you know again when you have athletes that can that can uh, that can play different positions, at least at least opens you up to different uh, different possibilities and conversations. And I think no no different here this off season, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, you're probably hoping he went to the American League. Um, you know, we, we've had to see him up close here the last couple of years. He's he's, he's uh, obviously a tremendous player, and you know, going uh, stay in the National League and, and going to a team that just uh, just represented the National League in the World Series. Um, you know, probably we're probably hoping uh, hoping he was heading elsewhere, but. Um, yeah, we, we did. I think it was reported. We, we, you know, talking to him, we, we did have a conversation with him, and he's a unique player. So I, I think from that standpoint, we, uh, you know, we, we, we at least you, you at least want to entertain that. You know, somebody that's unique that's on the free agent market that doesn't happen that often. Um, you know, and and ultimately, uh, you know, I think uh, you know him lining up and signing with another club. I think we just we just hope maybe that was in the other league, honestly. I don't know. I mean, you never really know. I think what, the way we try to do is just you know do our homework. You know, like we we don't really focus too much on what 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 other teams are because you don't know what's going on in the market really ever. So I think from our standpoint, we just try to say, hey, this is the value we put on a player, and you know, you know, at some point in time, you know, you look at it like, hey, this is what we'd be willing to to, to spend on a player. Sometimes offer a contract, sometimes not. Sometimes it's just honestly getting to know and see if the fit works and. You know, you never really know like how close you are to lining up. Um, you know, on anything, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think again, like, like we talked about, I think the, you know, the, the, the our roster in general, like we, you know, there's a lot of different possibilities. I think, uh, you know, I think at least with, uh, you know, I think with Trey, he's a, he's a player too himself that he's. 
obviously plays shortstop, but he's also shown the ability to play different spots. And you know, I think that was part of uh, that was part of the conversation. Yeah, it's always important. You know, I think uh, you know, I think um, you know, from 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 our standpoint, it's definitely. You know, right up there, we've talked about ending a bat with the starting, the starting pitchers. You know, right there, either one one a, depending on depending on the hour of the day. It's kind of like which ways, uh, you know, which uh, which way, which you know, which which is the priority. But it's always like a, you know, top priority is having having depth and having numbers, and we'll keep looking at adding adding in that area. Do you think you have five now? Or I think we have more than five. You know, I, I do. I think, uh, you know, again, I think there's, you know, I think the, we feel like depth in the, depth in the system, guys at, uh, you know, at the AAA level that, you know, pitch this year, we, we anticipate them helping us uh, this year and, and being ready to come in and compete. You know, I think, you know, I think the obviously the fourth, the big league level with Nick Martinez, you know, being the fourth. I mean, those guys are, you know, uh, you know, have, have spots for us going into spring training, but I think we're going to look to continue to add there and, and try to have some more possibilities for Ruben and for Bob. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously you had this year, you know, you've had those top end starters. So now that, you know, DeGrom and, uh, and Verlander are signed, that probably frees up kind of that next that next year. I think that's kind of that domino effect where, where a couple of these guys go off the board and maybe teams are competing and, um, you know, and, and, you know, waiting for those guys to go or competing for those guys. Usually that frees up, the, uh, you know, the next group of, of, of pitchers to sign. But uh, I think it's, uh, again, you have, you know, some, some top-end stars and you've got a lot of guys that have shown the ability to take the ball and make, you know, 25-plus stars, which is a hard skill to have. So I think, uh, you know, I think there's some interesting possibilities out there for sure. You talked talk to a number of players that have rejected qualifying offers. Can you embrace Chris? Possibly you <laughs> yeah, it's that's always a conversation with Chris. I think uh, you know from the amateur scouting side. Yeah, I mean, I think again, like you know, we weigh everything out. You know, from from uh, you know, like the you know ability to sign a player and then weighing that out versus draft pick compensation and what that means for us. The draft is it's it's a huge thing for us. Um, you know, every single year we put a lot of value in it. Um, you know, no, no different this year, honestly. But yeah, I think we've we've talked to Chris about, you know, if it's the right situation, right player, then you know, I think we'll, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll we'll look to do something there. Won't won't stop us from from signing a player. But um, you know, ultimately, yeah, we've had some conversations with the amateur department. They understand that, and they 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 I think they welcome the challenge. Yeah, what, what does he say? <laughs> Chris always says a lot, but uh, yeah. um, no, honestly, Chris is, you know, I think. Yeah, I think really the whole amateur group they understand that there's players throughout a draft. It's a you know 20 round draft. We've gotten guys in the past. You know, you look up in you know the teens, some guys after the draft. Um, you know, I don't think it really changes anything on their front. I think from from their end, it's it's go find the best players, go be thorough in your process, and you know I, I think ultimately they're excited about the big league success and, and they understand that's just part of it, honestly. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk more about it. Honestly, I think we've been focused a little bit more on like you know the trades and the free agent possibilities. So I think getting with with Bob and Ruben a little bit more in the next week and trying to get some clarity to our to our players and, and our roster. But yeah, I think with Adrian, I think he's very talented. I think we we feel like you know like in 21 before he got hurt, he was you know on that path to, to start games for us. Um, you know, he had a good good 20 kind of in that hybrid role, and then uh, in 21, you know, good start to spring training and the first couple starts. I think most likely we're going to look to, to lengthen him out and give him the opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to pitch multiple innings and, you know, and, and, and develop as a starter. But I think that that'll be a conversation for the, you know, the next uh, next couple of weeks. Maybe Jake Room. 
yeah, I think that whole group. I mean, you have you have Jay Groom, you have Adrian, Ryan Weathers, Pedro Avila, Reese Kinnear, guys that made starts for us at AAA. And that's that's going to be part of it for us is, is you know getting those guys to be you know more more consistent getting those guys to a you know to a spot where we can count them at the major league level um, again you need you need more than just four starters you know um, we understand that and you know we're looking at, at some outside possibilities um, but it's hard to add you know there's a lot of teams looking for pitching as well and you know I think from our standpoint we understand that developing some guys you know within the system to to be able to come in and pitch for us that's going to be a big goal between now and, and spring training and, and for next year and. Honestly, we'll probably, uh, you know, if, if we're if we're we're able to do that, probably will help us for, from a, from a wins and loss standpoint at the big league level next year for sure. Yeah, just per- I, I love it. I mean, I think it's it's good for the game. It's exciting. You know, it's uh, I think it's it's uh, it's like a celebration of baseball. You know, and in terms of like everybody, you know, I think enjoys and you know enjoys the industry. You know, sometimes you hear some people complain about like you know the lobby time or the, the nature of the meetings. I mean, it's, you're talking about baseball, you know, honestly, almost 24 hours a day if you want to, and, like, to have, you know, like, people that work in the game that love it, coaches, scouts, media, I mean, everybody, like, all, you know, I think uh, coming together and, and, you know, and celebrating baseball and talking about it, I think, is a really positive thing for sure. Yeah, he's in communication every day with our with our training staff, either in person here in San Diego, or we've given you know he's he's gone home for a little bit too in the Dominican to spend some time with his family and, and stay on this program. Uh, he's been he's been very responsive to everything. He's, you know, again, it's it's early in the process for him from you know, the recovery from the shoulder and the wrist. So far, that's gone well. Um, talked to him the other day, um, you know, and uh, yeah, I think he's excited to kind of like get the the next uh, the next check checkup, um, you know, from from both a wrist and shoulder standpoint, and start doing some baseball activity. And but so far, he's on schedule and, and things are going well. That's yeah, yeah. I think that you know, I think the I think we'll know a little bit more here by the end of the month. But I think. Uh, you know, I think uh, early January is what we're we're hoping if we get a uh, you know get get some good reports here in the next couple of weeks and um, you know he continues on track like he is. I think then then we'll start progressing more from a baseball standpoint in January. Do you approach this offseason coming up with the deep on any differently than you have previous year? Uh, not really, honestly. I think it's uh, you know every every offseason kind of like different different pool of players and different needs on, at the big league level. Um, you know, I think we're we're definitely like from a focus standpoint, we've you know we feel good about the rotation, the pen, and the lineup. You know, so I think it's about getting that right, you know, that right fit maybe in each area, as opposed to like multiple fits in each area. I don't I don't think we we see it as much like that, but no, I mean I think it's just about like hey, being thorough in what we're trying to do, making good evaluations, asking the right questions. I think all those things are you know still very much in line with what we've what we've done in years past, what we haven't played in the postseason, and what we've done you know the last you know couple of times that we've been in the postseason stuff. So. Yeah, we've had conversations on all, uh, really on all, the, all of our guys here in the last, you know, in the last uh, few days. You know, I think getting to the winter meetings. You know, again, some guys start going, start signing, and that kind of leads to, to, I think. You know, everybody getting a little more, like, uh, a little more, a little more realistic, and kind of understanding what's what's out there and what's available. So we've reached out. I think you know, you mentioned uh, two or three of those names. We've reached out on everybody, just trying to get a sense. We have interest in bringing back, uh, you know, a large portion of the group that that was with us last year. 
Um, but, you know, I think, again, just trying to get a sense right now of exactly where everybody's at, and those players have the opportunity to be on the open market and talk to all 30 teams. So we'll see uh, We'll see where it goes. But, yeah, we've, we've reached out pretty much all of our free agents, I think, everybody, and, uh, yeah, to different degrees of, you know, of kind of where we're at and where they're at in the process, just trying to trying to, uh, trying to go from there. No, we haven't. Haven't we? Haven't had those conversations because again, like I, I think the conversations, like with uh, you know, I think in general with with you know from a position standpoint, and you know, I think it's when we at least the, the position we're looking at is you know when you get to a spot where hey, this is this is going to happen, or this is something that we feel really really strong could happen. I think that's when that's when we looked at it. Like, hey, we're going to have that conversation. We never we never got to get to that point in the last uh, in the last few days. How much of your interest in someone like Ray had to do with you were in first base? How much of your interest in had to do with him going there and first base uh, not really. I mean, I think we started out the off season, and hey, these are, you know, we know you're going to have, you know, a few different, few different, you know, possibilities. And I think, uh, like I mentioned, I think, uh, you know, we talked to, to Jose Abreu and, and talking to uh, to Trey as well. It wasn't like a reaction to, you know, he, you know, Jose signed here, so, you know, it didn't. You know, I think we were going down both paths at the same time, both conversations at the same time. One didn't really like lead to lead to us. Uh, you know, shifting gears and, and turning more attention to, to Trey Turner didn't didn't go down that way for us. I mean, again, like I think uh, you know, every those are you know, we, we've got a sense working with Peter, and you know, you've got a sense in terms of like, hey, this is the budget, this is what we're we're looking to do. I think again, in, in the organization, we always kind of talk about, hey, if, if there's a, a situation that presents itself. Let's let's talk about it and um, you know and, and go down that path. So I think uh, you know we never you know we never got to that point where we're talking about hey sign one sign both sign the other. Um, but we know where what we have from a budget standpoint. Understand that if there's an exception, there's always a, a conversation at least to be had to see if uh, if it makes sense for us or not. Yeah, we've talked about it. I don't think we've spent a ton of time yet with the coaching staff going through it. Um, you know, I think in general we're probably still more in line with, like, just put a good team on the field. And, you know, I think there's, again, like, no shift and, you know, what that means defensively. And then, you know, also for some of the left-hand bats, some of the stolen base rules and, you know, the running game. And then obviously the pitch clock is just be more of a, a difference about, like, our pitcher's habits and, you know, like that part of it. But, uh, you know, I, you know, in general I think, like, you know, we talk about it in terms of, like, acquiring a player. Maybe there's an undervalued, you know, player that's out there. Um, but for the most part, I think it's still more about just just bringing in the right the right player and, and you know players with ability and talent and figuring that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna play out and the players will make adjustments as, as they get going. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're still kind of again like obviously with Michael leaving Bedar, um, you know, going to Detroit. I think we're we're looking at the hitting. You know, coach position or positions. You know, kind of team at this point in time, and uh, you know we're, you know, I think uh, you know going to use use the, this next week or two to to try to lock that up and and, and get uh, you know and, and kind of have we we have some I think we've talked about Ryan Flaherty, Morgan Burkhart, 
Um, you know, they've been part of like the the hitting conversation, the hitting uh, responsibilities the last few years in different ways. Have a lot of faith in those guys, and then you know we'll also look at uh, you know what else in our system or some other some other players and some other coaches in our system and some other coaches that are out there to to kind of line up the staff. But nothing nothing finalized yet on that front. Mark was in like again. I think with Mark, he was you know worked with Riley Westman, um, you know like uh, overseeing the farm system. So with you know Riley, Mike Daly, they're still in the same spots that they've been in. It was kind of like you know it's a it's a big job and there's like multiple, you know, a lot of responsibility there. So um, you know Mike Schilt will, will end up doing you know so so we'll have some more responsibility on the minor league side. We've got some some uh, some internal uh, coaches and, and you know and, and developers that have uh, that have earned you know the uh, the ability to take on more responsibility and. I think we're kind of lining that up over the course of the next uh, the next few weeks, and you know, I think overall, you know, still with Riley and Mike leading the department, but we'll have a couple more people there that will be able to help those guys out.